0: Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 12 and continuing through the end of the chapter. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them large crowds from galilee the decapolis jerusalem judea and the region across the jordan followed him this is the word of god for the people of god we use lots of different words to talk about Who we are. One word we use might be church members. We're members of the church. And sometimes when we use that phrase, we mean nothing more than we've come up here. We've said the vows and our names are on the roll. But when we look at the Bible, being a church member means that the Holy Spirit has been gifted to us and has tied us together. We are bound together. We're part of the body of Christ together. So sometimes we think of ourselves as church members. Other times, we think of ourselves as believers. That's really important. It's really good to be a believer. To believe in Jesus. To believe not only that there's a God, but that He loves us. Being a believer is really good. Sometimes, we might use the language of convert. We have been converted to Christ. Our lives have been changed. That's really good. That's one of the things we see in Scripture. One of the terms that we use that we start seeing in the book of Acts is Christian. Sometimes we call ourselves Christians. We're we're little Christs. We're, We're like Jesus the presupposition there is we don't just have our name our name on a roll somewhere we don't just believe some things we haven't just changed somehow but we're being changed into the likeness of Christ we're becoming like Jesus so when we say that we're Christians we're not just saying that we have this particular ideology or that in our culture we belong to this faction we are committed to Jesus And becoming like him. There's another word that we use sometimes. A word that we see repeatedly in the Gospels. And one that we even have in our mission statement. It's the word disciple. Now when we look at that word, there's more than one interpretation of what the word disciple means. Sometimes when, when I ask people, what does it mean to be a disciple the first thing they come out with is it means to be a follower of Jesus. Have y'all ever been in a church service where where you see some people and at the beginning of the service they're they're carrying the the, the candle lighter in and they go up there and light the candles? Have y'all ever seen that? Do y'all know what we call those people that do that? Acolytes. Acolytes. You know what, what the literal translation of acolyte is in Greek? It's follower. An acolyte is a follower. So, yeah, that following is a great thing. We see that in our text today. But the word disciple actually means student. A learner. Or or more broadly, even an apprentice. Maybe some of you have, have been an apprentice at some point in your life. There's some craft, some skill That you've wanted to learn, maybe for the job that you have. Maybe just because you want that skill in your life. And so what you do is you attach yourself to a person who is a master of that craft. And you learn from that person how to do that. That's the primary reference of disciple. That's the primary thing Jesus is looking for when He's looking for disciples. People who become His apprentices, His students. Now, if y'all were listening with that in mind, as I read from Matthew 4 today, one of the things you notice probably is the word disciple doesn't occur there. Starting in Matthew 5, We see it occurring over 70 times in the Gospel of Matthew. So it's clearly uh, important. What we do see clearly here is the calling of disciples. Jesus says, come, follow me. He runs into Peter, runs into Andrew, runs into James, runs into John. And he says, come, follow me. Spend time with me. Attach your life to mine. Learn to do life with me. Be my apprentice. And and he adds that other line. Come follow me, and I will make you. The old translation would say, make you fishers of men. Newer translation will say, fish for people. Now these four at least, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were fishermen. They know how to fish. They know why they fish. They fish because that's their job. That's how they make a living. That's how they get something to eat. And by catching more than what they need to eat, they can sell that. They can sell their surplus or they can trade it to others to get other things that they need because maybe they don't want to just eat fish all day, every day, for every meal. But Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fish for people. Can you imagine them saying, "Uh, Jesus, we know what it is to fish for fish. What we do is we get our nets and we throw it out there. And if we do it just right at the right place at the right time where the fish are, the fish are in the net and we bring them in. So Jesus... Now that you're living in Capernaum, are you telling us you're going to get us to get our nets and go out into Capernaum and just throw the net over people and haul them in? That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Or, Jesus, I mean, we fish, so we have something to eat, Jesus. You're not talking about us eating people, are you? That's strange, Jesus. Yeah, the problem with metaphors is metaphors only go so far. They break down and, and we see Jesus using this fishing metaphor because he's talking to fishermen. Other times in the Gospels, we see him using other metaphors. We see him using metaphors of the harvest. We'll glance at one later in Matthew chapter 9. Or, or sheep. Watch my sheep, feed my sheep, love my sheep, look for the lost sheep. and inviting these guys to follow him, and inviting these guys to become his students, his apprentices, his disciples. What it boils down to is Jesus inviting them to join him in what he's doing. And what's he doing? Well, at the end of Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus come to John the Baptist. John's out there baptizing all the sinners that are coming to him. And Jesus comes to John the Baptist, and we're not going to spend much time on it, but there's a conversation, and eventually John submits to baptize Jesus. Jesus is identifying with sinners. Jesus, the Son of God, comes close to them. He identifies with them. He spends time with them. And he sets himself on the way to give his life for them. That's one of the things Jesus is doing. Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, the passage right before what we read today. I see Jesus doing two things. First, the very beginning, he's spending intimate time with God, intense time with God. He's fasting 40 days and 40 nights. That sounds really difficult to me. Longest I've fasted is three days. And that was hard. Now in my old age, it's hard to fast 40 minutes sometimes. But here's Jesus fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Spending intense time with the Father. And immediately from that, out comes the tempter, the accuser, the Satan, the evil one. We're going to look at more detail about that next week when we look at that passage in in particular. But what we see there in in the beginning of chapter 4 is the intense time that Jesus spent with the Father made him able to stand up to what the evil one was doing. So Jesus is identifying with sinners, getting close to them, up close and personal, spending time with them, preparing to give His life for them. Jesus is spending intense time with the Father. He's going through times of testing and temptation. All the time relying on the Father. All the time relying on the power of God in Him. Finally come to our text today. Verses 12 through 16. Here we see... Old Testament continuity. See this quotation here. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Anybody have an idea what book in the Bible is being quoted there? It's Isaiah, yeah, I man. it says, quoting the prophet Isaiah. Do, do you know what comes right after that? Listen to this. this is me reading from Isaiah. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Why? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. Notice how it ends with kingdom language. And what's Jesus doing here? He's preaching the kingdom. Ties in precisely here with what Jesus is doing. I believe that in what's happening here, Matthew is tying in to this whole passage in Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 17 of chapter 4. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven. Has come near. The kingdom of heaven is near. Or, or I like Dallas Willard's language. It's available. It's available to you. It's available to us. It's not something out there. It's not something distant in space or in time. It's available now for us to live in, to operate in. And Jesus says there's a response you can do to this good news. The response is repentance. Repentance, not just saying, I'm sorry. Not just saying, I feel bad for my sin. But repentance is a complete reorientation of our lives. A leaving behind our old ways and our old relationships. That's what we see these guys doing. And taking up new ways and new relationships. Jesus is preaching the kingdom, preaching repentance And we see these guys, Peter and Andrew and James and John, doing that. They are entering that way of life with God as apprentices of Jesus. They're not finishing it. They're not completed yet. But they're starting it. Then what happens? Oh, we get a summary verse in verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Okay, you heard that one. Let's try 935. Matthew 935. Jesus went through all their towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he's, do you notice how similar... 423 and 935 sound almost exactly the same. If you were to hazard a guess what Jesus was doing between Matthew 423 and Matthew 935, what might you think he was doing? Well, exactly what those verses say. He was teaching, he was preaching, he was healing. And as we see in there, he's making disciples. He's calling people to be apprentices to him. And who is he with? Who's he with in in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 when he preaches the kingdom and what we know as the Sermon on the Mount? Who's there with him? It's the disciples, his apprentices. They're learning the message, learning what to say. In Matthew 8 and 9, when Jesus is teaching and healing and casting out demons, who's with him? it's the disciples they're learning how to do that they're learning how to be disciples how to be as apprentices and what's the point well look at Matthew 9:36 when Jesus saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd so here's Jesus seeing people. And the disciples, his apprentices, are there with him, seeing people. And they're learning to see people the way Jesus does. These people are not just annoying. They're not just burdens. They're not just people who want what we have and who will drain us. These are people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We care for them. We love them. 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So here they are. They're, they're seeing the sheep. There's a metaphor. The harvest. There's another metaphor. But it's people. And Jesus' heart is broken for them. And he has the disciples with him so that their hearts will be broken. And he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers. Okay, guys, Jesus just said, let's have a prayer meeting. So let's have a prayer meeting right here. So somewhere, somehow, Jesus can find people that will go out there. Well, that's not what we see here. What we see that immediately follows in chapter 10... And remember, the chapter divisions that we see here were not in the original text. Those were added later for our convenience. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Matthew 10 is Jesus responding to what he's seen by sending out these disciples who had been with him, who learned to do what he was doing by spending time with him wasn't just a prayer meeting. and He wasn't sending them out one by one. He was sending them out two by two. He was sending them out, out in teams. And we see that throughout the rest of the New Testament. There's mission teams that go out. They need each other. And how do they know to do these things? How do they know how to preach? How do they know how to teach? How do they know how to heal and cast out demons? They spent time with Jesus. They learned how to do it. And if we were to go all the way to the end of Matthew, we see the continuity of the message and the teaching there where Jesus gives what we call the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples, make apprentices of all nations. And the disciples at that point didn't have to say, oh, okay, Jesus, how do we do that? They knew how to do that. They'd done it with Jesus themselves. If we're going to do this, if we're going to join Jesus in what He's doing, if we're going to join Jesus in making disciples, then we need to be disciples ourselves. We need to be apprentices of Jesus, spending that intense time with Him in prayer, in study, in fellowship with others who are farther along in discipleship than we are and in obedience. We need more than just information. And we see that if we go back to chapter 3 of Matthew, John said of Jesus, hey, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go make disciples and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. We have the promised Holy Spirit. But we also see one more thing here. This being a disciple, this joining him in what he's doing is something we do with other people. With the other people that Jesus calls. Now, if you look just here in Matthew 4-9, through you'll probably see Jesus calling some people that the original disciples weren't too keen on. Like when it gets to Matthew... I mean, Peter and Andrew, James and John, what, what's their profession? Fisherman. Gets to Matthew. What's, what's Matthew's job? Tax collector. Uh, Jesus, you're calling the wrong guy here. Jesus, how, how, about, how about have another church for tax collectors? How about another crew of disciples for people like him? So we just have people like us over here. But, but you see, our problem is Jesus calls people across the lines that we see across our boundaries of comfort and what we're used to. For me, one of the most exciting things in my life is maybe not the most exciting thing is that God has invited me to be a part of what He's doing. He's invited you too. Let's pray. Father, I thank You today that You invited these guys, Peter and Andrew, James and John, to be your disciples, your students, your apprentices. Lord, help us to hear that same call addressed to us today. To not just be church members, to not just be believers, to not just be converts, to not just be Christians, but to be fully devoted to you. To learn your ways from you as we spend time with you. And Lord, deliver us from the walls that we've built that that has kept us from bringing in the people that might not be just like us, that you've also called to be a part of the team. Amen.